here we are today, you can text those or email those to us. Here we are today continuing this series called In Everything. This is our series, In Everything, and it's a worship series, all right? We're talking about this. Pastor Chris actually kicked us off last week. We were a little bit worried that the baby might come early, but thank goodness he didn't. Um, and Pastor Chris did a great job kicking us off last week. I can't recap everything, but I will talk a little bit about the premise and the theme verse he kicked off for us as to why this matters. Why did we as a church decide to spend a few weeks talking specifically about worship and how that affects us, our expression of it, and uh, some of the challenges of it, all right? So the question is what we think sometimes worship is, right? This is what gets stuck in the worship conversation, especially in the West, especially in the church. What do we think worship is? And I'm just wanting to know, almost all the time when people talk about what they think worship is, they're right, you know, they're right. It's singing, it's prayer, it's scripture, it's, it's Sabbath, it's rest, it's serving, it's all, you know, we, we sort of emphasize the thing that we like most or that we're connected to most, but, and most of the time you're right. The problem is sometimes it's not very complete, right? It's not the wholeness of what worship, it's not the fullness of what worship in terms of how we read in scripture, what it means. And so here's how Chris started us off last week as before he read the theme verse is that our worship is simply a response. Our worship is simply a response. Now, it can be a response to anything or anyone. Okay, that's what worship is. It's, a re it's how we respond to anything or anyone in terms of value and what we make the most out of. So we talk about this sometimes, and I, I think you've, used, you've heard me use this term before about the drift, is that our sin nature and sin itself will cause most of us to drift away from God consistently for as long as we live because that's the drift. It's not towards God. We never just float along without any intentionality and go, oh, I'm so much closer to God, I didn't even realize it, All right? Our drift is away. Our drift is to, is to manufacture idols. Our drift is to, is to find the created things to worship versus the creator. That's our natural drift. And so this is why we felt like it was important to, to talk through this as a church. This is a little bit more of a robust uh, definition in terms of a response, a response is in general, but when it comes to worshiping God, worship is a living response. We're going to talk about the idea of what that looks like when we're gathering and when we're going today. It's a living response to God for who he is, for what he's done, is doing, and will do. All right, just think about this for a minute. In terms of our worship to God, it's a living response. It's something that is always happening. It's our whole lives. And, it's, and, and, you, and you have the option of so many things to worship about in terms of what fuels your worship. But worship is about who God is. And if you stopped right there, it's enough. Right? It's who God is. It's the magnificence of the glory of God. We celebrate when we come together the greatness of God and we just worship him for who he is. But if that's not enough, what also fuels our worship is what he has done. Not just what he has done, you know, in terms of history, in terms of our scripture. It's what he's done in your life, right? What he's doing currently in you and around you and through people that you know. And if that's not enough, we have promises. We have clear promises in scripture of what he's going to do. And so we have all of this, I would say, fuel for worship in terms of our living response. It's not only for who God is. It's what he's done. It's what he's doing. It's what he will do, and we're going to focus today on, the, on that gathering and, and going aspect of our expression. 
But I want to read our theme verse that Chris really kind of nailed down last week. But before I read it, I I want to read the precursor. I want to read the doxology that happens beforehand. A lot of times, again, in terms of learning to study scripture, you you could pick up on some key things. And our key verse for this, Romans 1 and 2, Romans 12, 1 and 2, starts off with the word therefore. And you have to kind of get an idea of what it's there for. Why is it there? It's there for a reason, right? Therefore, in light of. And if you just go back a few sentences in terms of how Paul ends sort of this this time of discussion about the greatness of God, of who he is and what he's done and what he's doing and what he will do, here's the doxology at the end of Romans 11. Paul says, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. You just think about the, the statement there. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom of the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. You don't really, you can't tell where he's been. You cannot predict where he's going, right? You cannot judge his judgments because they're unsearchable, meaning there's so much involved and so much at stake. It's beyond you and it's beyond me. Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Let's just all be honest. We all think we could tell God how to do it a little bit better. Let's just nod our heads, okay? Sometimes we think we can be his counselor. But Paul, when he, when he thinks about the depth and the richness of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, he says, who, who knows his mind? His ways are higher than our ways. Like, that's what the, Isaiah said. He says, you know, who can be his counselor? Who has ever given to God? that God should repay them. Who, who is living a life so foolishly that they really believe that God owes them something? Right? Who, who would do that? And then he goes on to say, why? Well, because from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And then he says, Therefore, in light of that, just in light of those few sentences, I want to urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of his mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Why? Because this is your true and proper worship. Don't conform. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by changing the way you think. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. So when we hit this last week, again, I I can't go over everything that Chris talked about last week, but he just wanted to help us understand that this not conforming and this transforming from the inside out is this, is this proper worship in terms of how we respond to God. And here's the last statement he made that, I will, that I'll highlight. It just says, all of life. Go back to, uh... oh no, sorry, you're right. I'm wrong, actually. Hold on. Go to, the, go to the, Chris's last slide after the scripture. Because I do want to point that out, and then I'm going to come back and read uh, the message paraphrase. All of life is making much of what you truly value, cherish, and treasure. Again, this is just me recapping what Pastor Chris kind of shared with us last week. Now, the reason I wanted to share 
Because I love the, the way Chris kind of, kind of challenged us with this statement. I particularly love when I'm reading scripture, I read lots of different translations, and I read a bunch of other things. I read paraphrases, I read the Amplified Bible. I love, I love all sorts of things in God's word. Now, I have to, you have to know the difference between what is a paraphrase and what is an amplification and what is an actual translation. But I love Eugene Peterson's The Message, which is a paraphrase of this. And I love Romans above and beyond all of it. So I wanted to read that for you very quickly because it really goes into the, what Chris said in terms of all of our life is this response to God and what we treasure and make most of. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life. Nothing special, just you. You know, you're eating and you're sleeping and you're going to work and you're walking around life. And I want you to place it before God as an offering. I want you to lay it up give it to him. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. There should be a challenge there. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. I love that fix your attention. I love all those, those, the words that say that. Unlike the culture around you dragging you down by its level of immaturity, God's going to bring the best out of you and develop well-formed maturity in you. This, go to the next slide, is the idea of how we have a preoccupation with God. It's one of my favorite quotes. That you and I were designed to have this sort of everlasting not just right now, but this everlasting preoccupation with God, that our attention is so fixed on him, who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do. Now, you see the word, I highlighted it for a reason. Sometimes being preoccupied, we all view that a little bit as a nuisance. You know what I'm talking about? You're on the phone with somebody and they're not really paying attention to you. Jason, Lord, you guys know what I'm talking about. Pick it on you. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you, you're, you're having a conversation, but somebody's not really fully there. Everybody nod your head you're with me? Yeah, it is. It's a nuisance. It's a problem, okay? Not when it comes to God. Just want you to know. With God, the idea is that our eyes are permanently fixed, that we are directionally driven in our worship so that we can constantly fight the drift in our heart. So we can be preoccupied with who he is and what he's done and what he's doing and what he will do. And we're going to fight that natural gravitational sin nature pull that wants us to worship less than rather than poor, give our ordinary lives and worship to God. I want to spend a little bit of time today just talking about the expression of that. What does it look like as we express that as a church? I'm, I'm kind of breaking it up into two categories of what it looks like when we gather in worship and what it looks like when we go in worship. Now, if you grew up in church or you kind of have some of the lingo down, sometimes people use the word gather and scatter. Nod your head if you've heard that word before, right? Okay, I don't like that word. Why? Scatter. Scatter is what roaches do, right? Scatter is what rats do, right? Nobody, nobody thinks about Christians and goes, scatter, 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 scatter. 
I think about us going, right? We, go, we, we intentionally live our lives. We're going to work. We're going to soccer practice. We're going to our jobs. We're going on business trips. We're going to a friend's house. We're, you know, that's where we go. So it's the idea of what does it look like for us as believers when we gather in worship? How do we express it? And when we're going in worship, when we're going with our eyes fixed on him, when we're going in our life, when we gather I want to just walk through this, you know, again, most of this is going to be known to you. It's not going to be brand new information, but I want us to see sort of scripturally how we, how we get the things that we do in this time right now when we're gathered in a great assembly or even in small groups. Why do we do what we do? What's, what's, what's biblically driven in terms of our gathering and worship? Well, I'm going to give you these five things that you can see in scripture that is considered worship or talked about in such a way that's considered worship every time it's mentioned in Scripture, okay? Again, not brand new information. Scripture talks about psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, that when they gathered together and they left, they sang songs together, they encouraged one another in psalms, hymns, and, and songs of the Spirit. This is just part of what we do. And for most of us, we get that. We're in the Western church, you know, Singing's just a part of the church. Singing is what you do. Singing's what you skip while you're getting coffee. You know, singing is just part of what, what the church does. But it's been that way my whole life. And although it's looked very different, it's been that way my whole life. There's always been a musical element of gathering together in worship. It's the preaching and reading of the word, right? That's always been a part of church. It's always been a part of worship. Now, we believe reading because scripturally reading is mentioned so often, the public reading of God's word, is that we kind of intentionally, as you can tell, we intentionally make sure that there's scripture on the screen for you, that you can read along. I'd rather you have a copy of God's word in your hand, whether it's your phone or your iPad or a physical copy is fine. But, but, you know, online when you're watching or when you view it later, we want to always have the opportunity, not just when you hear me saying it, but when you can read it for yourself, because that's part of worship. Practicing the sacraments, right? Practicing the sacraments, baptism, communion, this is all called worship in Scripture in terms of how we're called to worship Him and what this looks like corporately when they gather. It's why baptism is done in, a, in, a, in a, an assembly. Baptism is always done with witnesses, right? Because it's a public profession of faith. Communion is always done together with the body of Christ because we're actually celebrating what Christ has done for the body, right? We're actually celebrating that in terms of the sacrament. This is all part of worship. House of prayer. That's what he says. I want my gatherings to be called. I want them to be recognized as a house of prayer. It's why we begin with prayer. It's why we end with prayer. It's why there's prayer in the middle. It's why there's all this opportunity for us to speak to God, for us to remember who it is that we're focused on during our worship when we gather. And then there's tithes and offerings. Tithes and offerings are always spoken about in terms of worship. Always talked about in terms of whether it's Old Testament, bringing first fruits and things like that. You, you know, that's part of the worship gathering. Gathering together always had elements of this. Now, I want you to just, again, I don't want you to just skim that by this, especially if you were raised in church. I want you to understand that biblically, these are the ways in which the Bible talks about us gathering together in worship. 
and it is the way the entire world worships God. Everybody with me? It's the way the entire globe of Christians gather in the name of Jesus Christ and worship. These five things are always happening. Always. It might look different, you know? In Kenya, there's a lot of, there's a lot of this right here, you know? It's a lot of very, no hands, just a lot of small steps, you know? Am I right, Jason? I'm right. This is it, man. It's a lot of neck, and, you know, I didn't, I didn't ever really got this right, you know? You know? 30 minutes of a song called Jesus is King. They'll get a train going around the whole building, weaving in and out. That's worship. Haiti, you think it's loud at Journey? Goodness gracious, Haiti will get four or five junky generators, crank up as much as they possibly can, and run it till the juice is gone. And the whole city and the whole community hears them preaching and praying and singing out God's praises. My friend who's a missionary in, in a Japan, right? They, they bring, they have their worship, uh, they have their tithes and offerings at the door, kind of like us, right? But, but people, in terms of their culture, they bring their tithes and offerings and give it to the church as they enter into the church. Okay, in the West, you guys think of that as a cover charge, but that's what they do. <laughs> Everybody with me? That's what they do in Japan. Okay, you treat these like tip boxes, I understand, you know, on the way out. But guys, I don't, I don't know if you understand how significant it is that in every tribe, in every tongue, in every language around the world, there are followers of Jesus engaging and gathering in worship, and they are doing the exact same things that you're doing. Do you understand how significant that is? How amazing that is? Is there anything else in the world like it? Like the gathering of God's people when they are doing one of these five things. It's amazing. It's beautiful. And there's three things that are happening, and I just want to kind of walk you through it very quickly. Three things that are happening when we are doing these things, when we gather. It's sort of the why, if you will, behind it. It's sort of the what's happening behind it. Now, there are so many things that can happen, but I want to share about sort of just intentionally how we read in Scripture what God is intending. To happen when we gather. First and foremost, we, we, we know this, again, not brand new, we're here to exalt God. We're here to lift up the name that is above every name, that worship is for him. Like I, read, like I read earlier in Romans, the depths of the riches of the knowledge of God, who can know him, who can pay him back, nothing for for him and through him and to him are all things. Peter says it this way. Peter 2, this is 1 Peter 2. You, talking to the church, to God's people, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I shared in our last uh, series, uh, you know, sometimes what's, what's always at war with the kingdom of God is our kingdom, right? Our kingdom is always sort of at war and at conflict with the kingdom of God. 
And so it's always a good idea to kind of remember your place. It's always a good idea to remember your position. Now, it doesn't take away. You don't have to minimize your position in order to understand and maximize and exalt God for who he really is. You're redeemed. You're chosen. You're, you know, you're royal. You're holy. You're God's special possession. That doesn't, that doesn't demean who you and I are as the church, as followers of Jesus, but it's nothing in comparison to who he is and what he's done and what he's doing and what he will do. Right? Nothing in comparison. The reason we are his possession, the reason we are made in his image, the reason we reflect the the redeemed glory of God is because he made us that way. He created us physically and spiritually to reflect him, to praise him who brought us from darkness to light. That's who we are. And yet when we gather, we gather to worship, right? The, the consumer of worship is, wait, wait, don't answer it yet. I don't want you to answer it the way you think you know the answer to it. I want you to answer it in the way in which you talk about what it is when you gather and worship. What is it, what is it that the, your discussions over lunch and your discussions when you get home and your discussions during the week as to how you, you know, what you got out of it, you know? Because most of the time, you know, when you look at those, think about those that list, you know, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Well, I wish we did more hymns. You know, I wish we chanted more psalms. I haven't heard that one, though, you know, but it could, it could be there. I wish it was more liturgical. I wish it was, you know, less planned and more spirit-led. I like it when so-and-so leads worship. I like it so-and-so lead. I hope they sing my favorite song today. I like it when so-and-so preaches. I don't know if so-and-so's preaching. You try to see who's wearing the mic whenever you walk in, you know. Who's preaching today? We're going to get out early or not, you know. (laughs) Is he going to talk about money today? He's always talking about money. Matt never talks about money, but when he's talking about money, he's always talking about money. (laughs) You guys with me? We talk, we respond and I'm telling you, this is, again, this is the natural drift of our hearts. We assume the consumer of worship is us. We, we take the culture around us and we assume that because you're sitting there and I'm standing here, that you are the audience. And that's just not true. We have an audience of one. There is only one consumer of worship. When it comes to the way the Bible talks about worship, and that's God. Everything we do has everything to do with what we bring to him, right? The Psalms, the hymns, the spiritual songs are for him. The preaching of his word is to exalt him, right? We practice the sacraments to praise him, to identify him, to identify our lives as being identity. Our identity is found in him. We pray to him that he would work through us because it's all about him and his strength and his power in and through us. We give our tithes and our offerings. We pour out this this praise back to God with our lives because it's all about exalting him. He is the only consumer of worship. And it's not that we don't get to enjoy it, guys. We do. If we get to enjoy public gatherings and, and, and the gathering of God's people, we get to enjoy it. 
But whether you enjoyed it or not is not actually the point. Because the consumer of worship is God. And the question you should, the only question that matters when you leave today is, was God happy with what you brought him today? Did God enjoy your praise today? Did you take your ordinary everyday life and give it to him as an offering? Because that's what it's about. When we exalt God, we put him in the position that he belongs in, and we better understand our position in terms of what we're doing, in terms of pouring it out. The psalmist said it, right? I was happy when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. Psalm 100 was, I'm going to enter his courts with thanksgiving. I'm going to enter, I'm going to go into his gates, his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. I didn't wait to see how good Matt taught. I didn't wait to see whether they sung my favorite song. I didn't tip them on the way out. I brought it to church. I brought it to the gathering because there is a consumer of worship and it's him. We exalt God. A couple of the things that are happening is we edify one another. Now, the way in which this works is that he first edifies us. He teaches us. He instructs us. That's what the word does. That's what the truth of the word of God does in terms of edifying us. I'll go ahead and read Colossians 3, uh, I think it's 16. It might say 6. Yeah, it's 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with wisdom, right? His wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, right? We get something out of this, guys. We get something from the gathering. It's a part of how God designed it. Right? We, edify, we are edified by him, by his word, through these songs, through the environment, through the, the focus we've placed on him in this time frame. But guys, he's, he's worthy of all of this, not just for an hour on Sunday, but for every hour. He's worthy of all of it. And sometimes you come in and you should be stronger when you leave. We sometimes pray, God, change us, right? The, 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 take this moment. And let us leave this place different than how we walked in. That's what the edification of his word means. And we edify one another by the way we see each other and challenge one another and love one another and sing songs with one another. That's part of the wisdom of these songs, right? And maybe you walked in here today and listen, I understand. You might have, you might have barely made it today. Barely made it today. You didn't come in with very much to offer. But there's something that happens when God's people gather because the tide of worship rises and everyone rises with it. And it may not be deep in your heart today, but you got to sing about the living hope that we all get to experience, that we all have. And maybe this morning, maybe in this moment, chains were falling and fear was bowing to the king who touches and changes everything he touches. That's what it does. That's what the truth of what we sing and, and, and read together and are a part of together, how it edifies us and teaches us and encourages us. Thirdly, what it does is it equips the saints. It equips people to go. Right? It's exalting God first and foremost. But we do get to, you know, the edification still happens. But the equipping is also what happens. And it's a big part of how we do what we do and why we do what we do in terms of those five elements. It's equipping God's people to go. 
If you go to Ephesians 4, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the teachers, the pastors to equip his people for the works of service, to go so that the body of Christ would be built up. This is the purpose of why Christ poured out his life and poured out these gifts on the church so that we could be equipped. Sometimes people get confused about what church is and and we really, really, really focus on doing church well because that's what we think worship is. Again, we get really confused sometimes as to who the consumer of worship is because the churches that do church really, 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 really well are oftentimes pretty misguided in terms of the consumer of worship is you and me. And all that really matters is whether we're actually gathering to exalt him and to be equipped to go, to go and do what he's called us to do, to go and live the life, this living response to him in everything that we say and do. That's part of our go. And the the church's responsibility and the church's scorecard, if you will, is not how well we do church in here. It is actually how well you're doing when you go. That's the church's scorecard. How well are you doing when you go to share that absolute hope with others? When we go and worship, this is the other part of the equation, right? We go and worship. You've heard us share these words before, to share and serve. We share and we serve. We share our faith in Christ and who's changing us, and we serve others in love. We share those with those in need. And what's unique about this is that when we gather Okay, there is power to this. When we gather, it's really, it's really neat. Like right now on Sundays and the weekend, there's so many churches all over the world gathering, together, gathering Christians together, doing those things in worship. We're in the same place. But when we go, we get to be in every place. Right? The best part about gathering is we all get to be in the same place. That's great. There's wonderful encouragement in that. We get to exalt God together and edify one another and be equipped. But when we go, the power of going is the fact that we don't just get to be in the same place. We get to be in every place, in every domain. I shared that with you guys in the last series. This is just a, a recap of the last series, the movement, kingdom, and harvest of God, the foundation, fuel, and focus, and how God works, and that the church is the result of that. The church, God's people, is the result of his movement, powered by his kingdom, fueled by his focus on the harvest. And I know we talked about our, your top five and your circle of responsibility, and we wanted to take that series to kind of bring it home and close to you, but today I wanted to focus on the extent of that harvest and the extent of what we're called to go. This is from Acts. This is after Jesus has been raised from the dead. This is Luke's account for the Acts of the church, and he recaps what it was like Jesus' last few days and before he ascends. And I love this way it starts because Luke is just recording what he's heard and, and what the account has been. And you know, this was always something we saw in the life of Jesus when they gathered around and they said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore your kingdom to Israel? You know, Jesus, I don't know about you, but that whole crucifixion thing took a lot out of me. I mean, it was rough. You know? I mean, it was, I mean, just, we were hunted for a little while, and it was really, I mean, we had to hide a little bit, and well, now you're back. Are you finally going to do the thing we thought you were going to do anyway? 
Is it, is it time yet? Are we there yet? That's what it sounds like, kids in the back seat. Are we there yet? Are we, are we there yet? Is it time yet? Jesus, hey, Jesus, is it time yet? I'm so, I'm so exhausted. Is, is it time? Here's Jesus' response. It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father set by his own authority. It's not for you to know. Why? You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you are going to be my witnesses. This is the Great Commission. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You know, this is my, Matt's paraphrase is stop whining, stop complaining, stop making excuses about how tired you are and how quickly you want God to come and bring his kingdom. He gave you a job to do. He gave us a work to do. He called us to be witnesses for him, right? At home in Jerusalem with everybody who looks like us, in Judea and Samaria with people that might not agree with us, look like us, talk like us, go read the Good Samaritan, go read about the woman at the well, okay? Understand what he means when he says Samaria. And to the ends of the earth, meaning there is no end. There is no end. There's no border, if you will. Okay? There's no, there's no like you've gone far enough. Oh, you went to West Virginia. Good for you. Right? Way to get out of your comfort zone. Okay? There's no, there's no far enough. It's to the ends of the earth. Why? Because he wants to reach every man, woman, and child. He wants to give everyone multiple opportunities to, to hear and respond to the good news of Jesus. And we are the witnesses to that good news. Yet, oftentimes in the West, we spend our worship gathering, sometimes when, we're, when it's convenient, when it's, when it's something we haven't done in a while, and not really taking the charge of going. This is James, the brother of Jesus. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you do not show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith actually save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food, no clothing, right? And you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well. You guys with me on that? No, clue, no clothes, no food, stay warm, eat well. But you don't actually give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? If you skip to the end of that chapter, it says, just as the body is dead without breath, so is faith dead. Without works, without good deeds, without action. Kind of doesn't matter how good we do church in here. Kind of doesn't matter if you liked whether the sermon was good or not. It doesn't really matter whether, you know, you, they sang the song you like. It doesn't really matter when that's all it is. Our gathering fuels us to go. That's what it's supposed to be. As we exalt him for who he is and what he's done and what he's doing and what he will do. As we edify one another and as we are edified, encouraged, and taught through his word and through truth. And as we are equipped, we're not equipped just to go home. We're equipped to go into the world, to the harvest, to be witnesses for him. It's one of the reasons we call our, our global outreach journey go. It's not just an idea of the, of, the, of the letters. It's the fact that we want to go. We're called to go to the ends of the earth to make a difference, to meet needs. 
what good is our faith here at Journey if it's like, oh, it's great. Eat well, Kenya. You know, stay warm, Peru. God bless you. We're here busy doing church. And yet, he might have called you to go. He might, he might have placed it on your heart to, to get out of that comfort zone, to take a step and go beyond what you've ever thought you'd do. And to be a part of one of our experiences. Just to remind you again, this is where we've sat, sort of landed. It's not, listen, it's not, it's, not a, it's not everything. It's not the only things to do. But as a church, we sort of focused our eyes on a few areas locally and kind of in the, you know, in the States and in Haiti and the DR now and, and moving out to Peru and the work we're doing with the Hovde House and Pazi Esperanza and our longtime relationship with the Kilgoris Project and serving in Kenya in multiple ways. But what is it that God might be asking you to do? Could he be asking you to go? Listen, when we create days like this and we give you the card and we create the tables and we create opportunities, it's just for opportunities for you to ask the questions and to just be open to the possibility that God might want you to go. Let me read a few testimonials from some of our folks that have traveled before I read our last scripture together. This is one of my favorites. This is, this is from John Gray, who traveled with us to Kenya a couple years ago. He said, I'm so amazed at the quality of education being offered to these kids through the Kilgoris Project schools. Nothing is holding these kids back. They can do anything through their strength in Christ. My life has changed by seeing the impact of where the money that we've been giving is going in this group because God is using it in incredible ways. I'm 69 years old. This is my very first mission trip. It's never too late because if I can go, you can go. Now, I, did, I, wasn't, I didn't get John's permission to say his age, but he said it on video, so I assumed you're okay with that, John. That was his very first mission trip ever. And he says, if I can go, you can go. This is Melanie when she first went to Haiti. It might have been her second trip, but going to Haiti was very challenging in my relationship with God, especially in trusting him. There were so many things that concerned me, especially about taking my daughter along. And yet one of the greatest things that I got to experience was to watch my husband and my daughter get so involved with the mission in Haiti and for me to be there with them. We got to experience meeting needs of others together as a family, and I have never experienced something so special. This is Jake, who and he uh, went to West Virginia um, for ASP, one of, our, one of our last big West Virginia trips. I wanted to go because I felt like I could help. I felt like I had the skills uh, that I thought were necessary. He was in construction. He said, but that wasn't the reason that God sent me. Everybody was able to contribute. And to be a part of something bigger than themselves, God opened my eyes to the needs in this community. And I know it seems like it's only around the corner, you think, yet it's a world of difference when you actually experience it. That's, that's a testimony from everybody who goes on ASP trips. This is Lauren Eberly when she went to Peru back in 2018 or 19, I believe. Said, we always said we were going to go on a journey, go trip. 
This is her and Adam. They, we were always going to go on a trip. I was even tempted to skip the Sunday I found out that we were talking about our trips. And yet Matt taught how often we say the words, no, maybe, or one day, rather than simply saying yes. It didn't seem like the year to do it and to do this kind of trip. But by the end of the message, I looked at Adam and said, I'm convicted that we're going to say yes and go to Peru. It was the best thing I've ever done. These are just partners who felt God was leading them to go. And you can't really make a decision like that in your seat. I mean, God can just impress on your heart. I believe that's true. Uh, I know Lauren said specifically she went, out, she went out that day because of the way it was set up. She wrote a deposit check for her trip and didn't know where the rest of the money was coming from. And we've said many people do that. Today, we just want you to consider, like, get some information. Put your name down as an interest. Let the leaders and the staff pray with you and for you as we work towards what plans look like next year as to how we're going to go. As with all things, because this is a living response to God, I wanted to close with this verse. We read Colossians 3.16 about admonishing and teaching one another through the wisdom of the songs and hymns and spiritual songs, because in verse 17, he says, whatever you do, whatever, it doesn't really matter. This goes back to Romans, right? That your ordinary life, put it before God as an offering. Whether it's in word or deed, I want you to do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything you do, whatever you do, is an act of worship. When your eyes are fixed on the right thing, when you're responding and expressing it in the right way, there's such a beautiful picture of God's people when we're gathered together because of so much of what he's called us to do. And yet there is also such a beautiful picture of God's people going where they live, learn, work, and play and to the ends of the earth to see God do a work as we meet needs with people, as we put action to our faith. Let's pray together. God, thank you for today. I pray that your spirit would just convict us and God, that ultimately you, you are glorified today. You are praised and worshiped today in our prayers, in our songs, in our offerings and tithes to you. God, I pray as, as we practice sacraments, as we work through, you know, how we can better worship you, God, would you motivate us to have faith that is action-fueled, that we won't be satisfied with saying to a world in need around us, have a great day, eat well, be healthy, and not take the blessings you've blessed us with and the opportunities you've given us to go and be a part of change and be a part of bringing absolute hope of you, Jesus, to the ends of the earth. Thank you for the opportunity to do it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.